Welcome to Experience This, the podcast that celebrates remarkable customer experiences and inspires you to stand out from the competition by wowing your customers. Each episode, we bring you a healthy dose of inspiring stories, funny interactions, and practical takeaways. Marketing and customer experience thought leader, Dan Gingis. Shares the mic with customer retention and employee experience expert, Joey Coleman, helping you to get people talking about your business. So get ready, because it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss getting your customers to share their memorable moments, charging for brief emotions, and timing your audience as they read your legal disclaimers. Selfies, cynicism, and stopwatches. Oh my! We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? I almost did a tweet last week, Dan. <laughs> I, and by that, you mean you almost tweeted, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's the phrase the kids that's say. That's all we need to know, folks. Yeah, yeah. That's all I, we need I, to know. I, I almost tweeted and I kind of just explained why it's so rare. I must confess, I was as surprised by this fact as you are, Dan. But I had the chance to travel to Naples, Florida to deliver the keynote speech for the American Sports Fishing Association's Fall Summit. Now, the event was lovely, and the team at the American Sports Fishing Association was a delight to work with. But for purposes of our conversation today, I want to talk about my hotel room at the Naples Grand Beach Resort, the property that served as the hotel hosting the event. Ah, yes, the hotel room experience, an often overlooked aspect by organizations hosting events. Yes, indeed, Dan, that is often the case but not the case here. Now, to set the scene, the Naples Grand is set on 23 waterfront acres. To quote their website, the resort promises to be a sanctuary of beachfront sophistication, complemented by a spectacular ocean view and a portfolio of world-class amenities, including a luxurious spa, an 18-hole championship golf course, 15 tournament-grade tennis courts, as well as a beautiful beach and a vibrant swimming pool deck at the heart of the resort experience. Ooh la la, sign me up. Indeed, and it was an absolutely impressive setup. But what really impressed me was a sign on the sliding glass door that led to the private balcony outside my room. And the little sign, it was a sticker on the door, read as follows. Sunset selfie? Tag us, hashtag Naples Grand, at Naples Grand. You could be featured on one of our social channels. You know, it's funny that you bring this up, Joey, because one of my favorite signs ever was also on the sliding door of a balcony, but it was a little bit different than yours. You see, mine was in San Diego, and the sign that I had on my hotel room said... Please be advised, leaving your sliding door open may result in the entry of pigeons into the room. (laughs) (laughs) I closed the door. Enough said. 
a completely different message, obviously, than the message on my hotel door. But here's the interesting thing. I don't know how long these stickers have been up on the sliding glass door to the balcony in the various hotel rooms at the Naples Grand. What I do know is that on the Twitter and Instagram feeds for the resort, there are dozens of guest-generated photos of sunsets and other pictures from around the property. It reminds me of something I shared earlier this season, episode 136 to be exact, that can also be found on page 57 of your new book, Dan, The Experience Maker, How to Create Remarkable Experiences That Your Customers Can't Wait to Share. And I quote, Often, I remind audiences and clients that there's no such thing as an offline experience anymore. We used to have offline experiences, an airplane, a subway, an office meeting, a bedroom rendezvous. But now everything we do, everywhere we go, we can pull out our phones, take a picture or video, and turn an offline experience into an online experience. So with every part of your company's experience, you have to ask yourself if you want it shared on social media. This is not just about being afraid of what people might say. It's about how you design it so people want to share the experience. End quote. Now, by placing the sticker on the sliding glass door, the Naples Grand triggered the thought about sharing a selfie and tagging the resort at the exact right time, just before someone opens the door to step onto the balcony for a better view of the sunset. Well, first of all, if I'm not mistaken, in episode 136, that was actually your favorite passage of my book. So thank you, you for are correct. reading that it again. That was my favorite passage. It's a double whammy. Two times that I share my favorite passage from your new book. Outstanding. Well, history being made here on Experience This. You know, I also talk about something that a friend of mine once said, which is that if you have to tell someone it's a selfie spot, it probably isn't because selfies are spontaneous. What I like about this sticker is they use the word selfie, but it was formed as a question. So it didn't say, take a selfie here and share it. That's more like a command that people are not going to be interested in doing. Because if you tell me to take a selfie, I'm like, "Mm -mm, I'm taking a selfie when I feel like taking a selfie. Instead, what they did here was they recognized that this was a pretty common place to take a selfie. And they reminded you, as you mentioned, before you went out, they didn't interrupt the actual experience. They reminded you before you went out of the sliding door that if you were going to take a selfie, like many do, here's a way to to tag us, which I think was a really nice way of setting it up. I agree, Dan. That simple inclusion of the question mark changed the entire tone and tenor of the sticker on the sliding glass door. And I have to admit, while I loved this sticker and the overall experience that it created, I couldn't help but think about what they could do to make this sticker even better, to convince people like me, who frankly aren't going to take a sunset selfie and aren't going to tweet about it, to actually go that extra step of taking the photo and posting it to social media. Well, I'm glad you brought this up, Joey, because you started this segment by saying, and I quote, I almost did a tweet last week, Dan. Exactly. And so <laughs> highlight on Almost, because you apparently did not. So what did you come up with to improve the sticker? So here is the thing. When I read that, the hook, if you will, for doing something that I've never done before, which is post a sunset selfie, was to be featured on the hotel's Instagram or Twitter page. Now, for some folks, that would be very exciting. And the reality is when someone 
is at a resort hotel like the Naples Grand, they're probably there for one of two reasons. To either attend a work event, there were several meeting rooms and ballrooms on site, or to enjoy some vacation time. And while that idea of being featured on the hotel's Instagram or Twitter account may be appealing to a social media influencer or a photographer, it's probably not as compelling to event attendees or vacationers, or frankly, people like me that don't spend as much time on social media. But what would be more appealing would be things like a free room service treat. So maybe the sign could say something like, tag us in your selfie and get a free appetizer delivered to your balcony to enjoy while you watch the sunset. Now, that's a really long sentence to put on a little sticker on the window. But the point I'm trying to make is that I think something like this type of message or interaction would increase participation. And imagine a scenario like this. A guest takes a sunset selfie and they post it to social media and they tag the resort. Mere minutes later, the phone in the hotel room rings. Because guess what? They know you're there. You just posted it. With a room service representative that says, can we bring you a special treat? to enjoy while you watch the sunset on the balcony. Now, who isn't going to say yes to this offer? And frankly, once the treat is delivered, do yet another post on social media about this surprise and delight moment. You know, I kind of like here that we are designing an experience as we go. And so while I really love your idea, I'm going to improve it even more. Oh, nice. I like it. No sticker at all. Okay. But do what you said. So if it's a selfie spot and people spontaneously take selfies, when you take a selfie, you people social media people know what they're doing. So they're going to tag the hotel. And when they do, it should be knock, knock, knock. Here's your free appetizer or have the phone ring. That would be an incredible experience. I don't love the idea of telling people to do it to get a prize. It just feels to me like it's then, it's just not as authentic. Whereas... It sounds to me like the whole idea of this sticker in the first place was that they know people are already doing it. So start rewarding the people that are doing it. You're absolutely right. They will post again with the surprise and delight. And then you know what will happen? More and more people will hear about it and more and more people will start doing it. And you won't ever have to tell anyone to do it. Oh, I like it, Dan. And ladies and gentlemen, that's why they call him the experience maker. So what can we learn from the creative team at the Naples Grand? I think it's valuable to explore the most shareable moments of your customer journey and create little prompts to help people share those interactions with their friends and family. To really take things to the next level, acknowledge and reward these share moments as close as possible in real time with little moments of surprise and delight of your own. And your customers will do your marketing and promotion for you. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. Normally, our CX Press segments offer an overview of a customer experience story that we came across, but this one was so short that I wanted to share it in its entirety. Is that okay with you, Dan? It's great. I'm just going to sit back and relax and let you read away, my friend. All righty, here we go. The following is an opinion piece by Guardian columnist Arwa Madawi entitled $11 for Brief Emotion? The hidden charges of U.S. healthcare are utterly enraging. Now, here's what Arwa has to say. Words are cheap, but emotion will cost you. 
An American woman recently found that out the hard way when she went in for a routine medical checkup that included a mole removal and ended up with a hefty invoice that included an $11 fee for, quote, brief emotion. The Virginia-based woman, who goes by the name Midge, tweeted a copy of her invoice last week, mole removal, $223, she said in the viral tweet, crying, extra. To be fair, Midge didn't get charged for crying. Brief emotion is short for brief emotional assessment. What happened was probably something like this. In the middle of Midge's checkup, her healthcare provider wanted to ask her some routine questions about her mental state. Can I ask you a few things? Her doctor might have said. Of course, Midge might have replied, as anyone would. She wouldn't have realized this short Q&A was a service she was expected to pay for. $11 isn't an enormous amount of money. It's the sort of fee that a busy person could easily overlook. But that is exactly what makes such a sum so insidious. The American healthcare system is full of charges like this. It's full of small procedures that add up to enormous amounts. It's full of unnecessary interventions that add up to millions of dollars. A, quote, brief emotional assessment has a name. CPT code 96127. That's the way in which health providers build their questionnaires. Some doctors ask the questions because they genuinely want to know the answers. Others go through the assessment because it's an easy way to pad their bills. Lest you think that I'm being cynical, let me point you to an online blog from a company called Mentagram that provides screening software to health providers. According to its online blog, quote, CPT code 96127 may be billed four times for each patient per visit. Not only will clinicians have more efficient practices by utilizing these screenings, but they can also use them to build revenue, end quote. Each assessment is only a few dollars, but that adds up. I have a brief emotion to describe all of this. It's best summed up as rage. Wow, where do we start with this one, Right, <laughs> right? And you can understand, I hopefully mean. wanted to share the whole story, right? It's craziness. Yeah, and I got to tell you, listeners, Joey and I generally do not share these segments ahead of time. And and part of it is because we do want to get the the authentic reaction from the other person. And so I had not read this article and did not know Joey was sharing it. I, two things come to mind. The first is how interesting it was that brief emotion was misinterpreted and that right. the bill itself is stupidly worded, right? And and so the woman actually thought she was being charged for crying. So that's an easy fix. And and yet it slipped through as so many charges do. I mean, just try to analyze your credit card bill sometime and and the letters and numbers and you have no idea who charged you or for what. Or try to get try to figure out of the 17 charges from Apple that you got last month, which one's which? And, you know, which was the, the kid downloading a game versus a subscription versus your, uh, you know, paying for your uh, cloud space or whatever? It's impossible. So I think the abbreviation, it was must, it must have been a space thing, right? They couldn't fit more letters. So they had brief emotion instead of brief emotional assessment. That should be the easy fix. The bigger problem becomes this idea that we have something that healthcare providers can sell, so to speak, to patients in order to pad extra revenue. Now, if this survey is important, if we need to know the answers to them before we can remove the mole, then I get it. That's that's would be uh, not only a required medical procedure, but it would be, you know, smart of the doctor to do. 
The blog that is cited in this article, though, suggests that it's a little bit more nefarious than that and that it's, that it's essentially there or that doctors have figured out that it is there as a way to make extra money on each patient, which, of course, uh, I, I, we cannot condone here. So I am, uh, I'm full of emotion after this one, Joey. <laughs> as am I. The thing, to your point, Dan, that absolutely put me over the top is, and again, we, I've, not, I've attempted to fact check this, folks. So forgive me if it's, uh, we're not giving you the accurate news here. But if you can indeed, as a healthcare provider, bill for this brief emotional assessment, four times per patient visit, that that's the acceptable number of times you can run through those questions in a single patient visit, we have a fundamental problem. I'm not at all suggesting that doctors shouldn't assess their patients' emotions when they are meeting with them. They shouldn't assess what's going on, especially if they're going to do a procedure and they want to make sure, you know, okay, we've got the the physical attributes of the procedure we're going to do, but what about the mental and the emotional impact of the procedure we're about to do? Are you in the right state of mind to do this? How are you going to be afterwards, et cetera, et cetera? That makes sense. The piece that drives me insane is the idea that we would charge four times for that. Now, $11 not a deal breaker for most people. But $11 times four, $44? Well, now we're starting to get into problematic charges, overages, and things that frankly just shouldn't be part of your customer or patient experience. Well, this also reminds me, and I know you remember this episode very clearly, Joey. It's actually episode nine. (laughs) (laughs) I probably remember the episode, but not the number. Let's be honest. Well, back in November of 2017, we did a segment, uh, a Say What segment, and it was about the explanation of benefits, that famous document in healthcare. And and I noted at the time that it is neither explanatory nor beneficial, so it's poorly (laughs) named. And the idea, though, behind this is that industries such as healthcare, especially in the United States, have made it a business to confuse customers. They use language that customers don't understand. They add complexity when simplicity would do. And they create an overall frustrating and infuriating experience. And I don't understand why... This is so difficult, um, except that when I worked there in healthcare for two years, I, I realized that the whole industry is like the, is the Titanic. It's, it's just moving it is, uh, is nearly impossible. But I think this is a great example. The other one that always just fries me is the word formulary. Do you know what a formulary is, Joey? I'm sure you do because you're a smart guy. And only because I'm friends with you. Isn't that like the pharmaceutical prescription thing and, and kind of how that all comes together? It's the list of prescriptions that are included in your healthcare plan because different plans have different lists of prescriptions. Why? Because it's overly complex. But why do we have to call it a formulary? Why can't we just call it a list of prescriptions? (laughs) That's what it is, right? It's just a catchy name. Let's call it what it is. And so as you were reading this, I'm even thinking, I've been going over this in my head. What the hell is a brief emotional assessment anyway? Like what? is that? And why does a doctor need to do that? And again, we get back to if they're asking questions that are related to, you know, the procedure, let's say, for example, I'm just making this up that, you know, the, they have to ask a question about whether you have a fear of needles, for example. Well, okay, I get that. That's a, that's kind of a necessary question if I'm about to poke you with a needle, but 
a brief emotional assessment sounds like I'm going to therapy while I'm getting a mole removed. Absolutely. And so it doesn't and, make any sense. Yeah, and it also creates distance between the provider and the patient when at this point we should be doing anything but creating distance. We should use this as a uh, significant emotional connection time, not a brief emotional assessment time. You know, here's the thing, Dan. I would imagine that some of our listeners right now are saying, oh, Joey, Dan, we agree with you. Healthcare, oh, ridiculous. But folks, don't miss the trees by looking at the forest or don't miss the forest by looking at the tree as it may be. What I would suggest is that almost every organization creates some type of an invoice or some type of a bill. And I guarantee that because you're probably not looking at your invoices or your receipts or your bills, that there are things on there that are not clear to the people who are processing them. Let me give you an example. You know, lots of times in a large organization, one department will sign up for a service and will start getting itemized bills. But those bills don't get sent to the department that signed up for the service. They get sent to the accounting department in that organization. Now, the accounting department has no idea what's been going on in the other department. Why? Because silos, see earlier comments that we made on the show a thousand times about silos being great for the farm, but not great for your organization. And so what happens is the people in the accounting department are reading these detailed itemized things going, this sounds ridiculous. This seems silly. Why are we being charged for this? And it's creating all kinds of angst and slowdowns and challenges in getting you paid. Conversely, compare that to a scenario where your invoices were fun. Maybe even so bold as to be entertaining that they made the person in accounting or in the accounting department look through that invoice and smile while they were paying it or clearly understand what they were being charged for. There are opportunities in every touchpoint, in every interaction we have, even invoices to create remarkable experiences. Could not agree more with you, Joey. Every single piece of communication that we have with a customer is an opportunity. We just have to treat it that way. So what can we learn from this conversation about healthcare billing and this opinion piece from The Guardian? Well, your customers want you to care, but please, please don't bill them for that. Or at the very least, don't create a line item on the bill that can easily be mistaken as charging for caring. When it comes to your invoicing and billing procedures, remember that every touchpoint, including the invoice, is a chance to create a remarkable customer experience. Don't make your bill into something that lessens the customer interaction. Instead, use it as a way to remind your customers how much value and service you do provide and do so in a way that leaves them smiling, not cynical. It's shocking how often people use 38 words to describe something when two would do the trick. We're looking at you, lawyers and accountants. Words matter, and there is no excuse for trying to hide what you mean. We explore words and messaging in this next iteration of Say What? I know you love playing games, Dan, so I wondered if you'd be open to a new one that I decided to throw together for our segment that we're recording right now. You game to do that? The only thing I like better than playing games is playing games on a podcast with you, Joey. Oh, uh, you are too kind. All right. Well, this game is based on some research that was recently conducted by the folks at Reboot Online Marketing, and it analyzed how long it would take to read the terms of service 
and the privacy policies of several online platforms, including PayPal, Shopify, Amazon, WhatsApp, Twitter, Facebook, Google, etc. Okay, Dan, here we go. Question number one. How long do you think it would take to read the PayPal terms of service? 38 minutes, 52 minutes, or 76 minutes? Well, holy moly, all of those are way too long. <laughs> way too long. Every single one of these answers is a bad answer. The question is, how bad is it? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to just split the difference and say 52 minutes. But whatever you tell me, I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah, you you are not far off. It was actually the first answer, 38 minutes. But yes, that is still ridiculous. 38 minutes to read just the basic terms of service for using PayPal. Not too fun. Okay, let's go to number two. Which platform's terms of service took the longest to read? Amazon, Shopify, or Twitch? Well, I have to. I'm going to try some process of elimination here. Okay. I'm going to eliminate Amazon because they're just so good at stuff that I don't think they've got a really long set of terms and conditions. Alrighty. Plus, what kind of terms do I have to agree to to buy something on Amazon? So I'm a, I'm a little, I don't think so. Now, Shopify is interesting because it's also e-commerce. Whereas Twitch, I don't do a whole lot on Twitch, but I, I believe that's about like watching videos of people playing video games. Which, <laughs> Meanwhile, all the young listeners to experience this are just like, oh my gosh, we've got to teach Joey about social media and Dan about online gaming. I love it. Yes, Twitch is indeed about watching game streams. So, all right. you, so you are correct. In my process of elimination, let's assume that Shopify learned something from Amazon and that the whole idea that I'm sharing my own video game playing And I don't know. I just feel like there must be some copyright stuff there and privacy stuff and whatever. So I'm going to go with Twitch as being the longest. You know, this is not a bad guess. And your logic was definitely sound. However, I'm sad to say it was Shopify at... Well, it wasn't Amazon. (laughs) Wait for it. Wait for it, though. Shopify at 76.7 minutes. Oh my God. Joey, that's oh, almost three episodes of experience. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, even if you edit out all the music, okay? It's like, oh my goodness, 76.7 minutes. All right, two more questions, Dan. Number three, which platform had the fastest read when it came to their privacy policy? Okay, now we're switching from terms of service to privacy policy. Which one was the fastest? Is it WhatsApp, PayPal, or Shopify? Well, I can tell you you process of elimination, Shopify's gone. All right, all right. No way. PayPal privacy sounds, sounds long too. I'm going with WhatsApp. You know, I love your logic, but my friend... <laughs> Am I over three? <laughs> Overthought it. You're over three. It actually is Shopify. Oh Shockingly my. enough. It's because they got all the stuff out of the way with their terms. Exactly. The terms of service covered everything. So their privacy policy only took 12.4 minutes to read. Okay? Still a long read, but the shortest one across all the platforms that were surveyed. Last but not least, the final question, number four, Dan, which platform had a combined read time for both their terms of service and their privacy policy of over 80 minutes? Twitter, Amazon, or WhatsApp? 
Oh, you had to bring Twitter in there, didn't you? <laughs> you know, I got to... My goal on the show is to always talk about Twitter without ever, as I said in the earlier in the episode, doing a tweet. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. I'm once again eliminating Amazon because I just think they're better at this. So I'd be, I'd be most shocked if you said Amazon. I will not be surprised at either of the other two. But something tells me that the folks over at Facebook who own WhatsApp, if I'm not mistaken, have a little more to say about terms of service and privacy policy, especially with all that's going on in the news. So I'm going with WhatsApp. You know, that is a great guess. Oh, man, I missed it again. Wait for it. I'm going to give you partial credit. You are correct that the WhatsApp terms of service and privacy policy, if you were to read both of those, would take you more than 80 minutes. But it was a trick question. Because that is also the case for Twitter and Amazon. All three three of those organizations, if you were to read their terms of service and their privacy policy, would take you more than 80 minutes. Okay, I got to ask, Dan, you are a great sport playing the game. What do you think of the findings that underlie these questions? I don't know, Joe, you got 80 minutes? Yeah, no doubt, right? explain them to you. Right? I mean, look, let's just state the obvious. No one reads these. Lawyers and companies know that no one reads these. So the only reason for their existence is CYA. Look it up. I don't want to get us a stamp on uh, iTunes here. Cover uh, your CY- assets, I think, yeah. is what CYA stands exactly. for. Yes, Literally. it is. And that's all it's for. That's the only reason it's there. And probably to keep lawyers employed. But this is absolutely insane. And I think this has gotten to the point where the SEC or somebody should do something about it and should and should change the requirements because you know and let me go off for one more second here one of the things that i found in corporate america because i had to work with corporate lawyers all the time and look i had a real scenario where i had a lawyer come back to me with edits to a tweet and using her edits would have made my tweet 500 characters and even you know that's too long for a tweet way too okay. many words so Letter. I've had a lot of conversations with corporate lawyers. And what, what I figured out over time was that generally, the regulations that exist have a reasonable sense of customer experience. The, the, the basis for them is to protect the customer. And so that's why these required terms are, are required. Because we want to make sure that people understand the product or service that they're purchasing or using. The problem is, is that the interpretation of these regulations and sometimes the enforcement of them has gotten to the point where we're, not, we're no longer solving that problem. We're not making it easy for people to understand what they're getting themselves into. Instead, we are not even trying. And in fact, we know that people aren't reading it. So the end result is nobody knows what they're getting themselves into. I was surprised that one of the ones you didn't list here was Apple. And we all know that when we upgrade our iPhones or software, every time there's that thing we got to press OK to. And it's like 125 pages of terms. There's not a person on earth, probably not even Apple's lawyers that have read all of that. And so that's the big thing I think has really fallen apart. And I do think, unfortunately, it's going to require some change in regulation in order to fix it. I agree with you, Dan. There are so many pieces of this puzzle that are wrong. And as the recovering attorney on the podcast, I get why lawyers write tight terms of conditions and tight privacy policies because they're trying to protect their organizations. But when I say tight, I don't mean judicious with their use of words. I mean tightly construed to imagine 
every possible scenario that could possibly arise and try to fence off all of those to protect their organizations. But in doing that, to your point, these terms of service and these privacy policies get longer and longer and longer. Now, I did some research. You know, they they did a fantastic study back in 2019 by Pew Research Group that found just 9% of U.S. adults always read a company's privacy policy before agreeing to the terms and conditions. So the best guess is that these terms are read by 9% of the people that are doing it. And in fact, there was actually a bill passed in Congress. You're probably familiar with this one, Dan, back in 2009 that required credit card companies and banks to be more comprehensible in what they were writing and to write language that is easily understood by their consumers. You know, when I was in law school, I had a legal research and writing teacher who was fantastic at hounding us not to write like lawyers, to write like humans. And I think the problem is when we think of terms of service and we think of privacy policies, we're writing and acting like lawyers instead of like lay people or the average person. For sure. And the reality is, is that if the average person actually tried to read these things, most likely they'd turn around and walk away because they're so non-understandable, ununderstandable. I don't know what the right word Incomprehensible, is. Incomprehensible, either way. Incomprehensible. But also, I would imagine, I mean, I've only read portions of some of these that, you know, they sound scary, right? All these things could happen. And if they do, then, well, if we're not liable, then who's liable? It must be me that's liable. And so it just, as I said before, is not solving any problem. And in fact, is adding angst to the customer experience, which we never want to do. I think the only reason why companies are getting away with it is that everyone's doing. And so, you know, if you don't like Apple's terms of conditions, I haven't seen Samsung's or Google's, but I'm guessing that they're probably just as long. And so you don't actually have a place where you can go for comprehensible terms and conditions. I agree, Dan. And sadly, much in the same way that I imagine your parents told you growing up, just because all your friends are doing it doesn't make it a good idea, right? You need to bring your own judgment and your own vision to the story, especially if you are in charge of writing terms of service and privacy policies. I totally agree. Totally agree. And, you know, I await the company that decides to be different here and to stand out in a good way. Just because you need to cover a lot of information in your terms of service or privacy policy doesn't mean that it needs to be boring or take a long time to read. Now, I know you have a fun terms of service disclaimer page on your website, Joey, that starts out with the following overview. And I quote, Lawyers always like to have technical information on websites that no one can understand, but will work well if things ever end up in court. Since Joey was a practicing lawyer in a previous life, by that we mean earlier in his career, not a previous life in the reincarnation sense of the word, his disclaimer page is written to be a bit more enjoyable while still clear and easy to understand. We hope you enjoy. I love it. I love it, Joey. And uh, I did. I tried to do the same thing on my site as well. Maybe not as well, but uh, I, I realized as, uh, as we often talk about that we got to practice what we preach. So if you and I are sitting here telling people that privacy policies and such uh, need to be shortened and more understandable, we should be doing the same thing. 
So because I got to read yours for a second, I'll just read a, a line from mine. Mine is entitled Really Important Stuff. It's not even entitled Privacy Policy. And it starts with, we take the privacy of our users very seriously, in parentheses, seriously. And I even did a little, uh, for the youngsters in the audience, because you said that uh, they need to teach me something, I even did a little something for them. I have a TLDR. Do you know what that means? Oh, nice. Uh, too long didn't read, I believe. Too long didn't read. So the TLDR is your info is safe because it wouldn't be a very good customer experience if it wasn't. I so, love it. You know what? We have both done, and, and guys, we didn't talk about this. Listeners, Joey and I did not talk about this, but we both have done the same thing because we do practice what we preach. And you know what? I don't know about you. I had fun writing this. Oh, it absolutely. It was actually fun for me to write it. Yeah, this is by far the most fun in terms of content creation for the website that I think you can have if you're willing to play. Now, just for giggles, I decided to run the text on my disclaimer page through the same words-to-time tool that the team at Reboot used for their analysis. And presuming an average read speed of 130 words per minute, which to be honest is pretty conservative. The average person reads it closer to about 180, maybe 200 words per minute. I actually scored 4.9 minutes, which I was pretty happy with. I came in under five minutes and I came in well below all of those big companies. Now, to be honest, my site is a personal website for my business. It's not a platform with extensive e-commerce or banking functionality like Shopify or Amazon. But nonetheless, I hope it illustrates the point that the faster read is usually the preferred option especially when it comes to terms of service or privacy policies. So here's something we've never done on the Experience This Show before. I want to throw down a listener challenge for our intrepid listeners. Go to wordstotime.com, okay? It's a website where you can paste in your terms of service or your privacy policy or any disclaimers you have for using your products or services. And you press a button and it will tell you how long it would take to read those. Now, it doesn't tell you how long it would take to comprehend them or understand what you're saying, but at least it gives you a clock on the read time. And then message me or message Dan to share your findings. And if you want extra credit, try to shorten your time to read and make your disclaimer more fun to read in the process. Now, if you share your results with us, you will win some fun prizes. And who knows, maybe we'll feature you in a future episode of Experience This. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. You're the best listener ever. And since you listened to the whole show... Yay, you! We're curious. Was there a specific part of this episode that you enjoyed the most? If so, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with a coworker, a friend, or someone that just loves listening to podcasts. And while you're in the sharing mood... If you felt inclined to jump over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and write us a review, we would so appreciate it. And when you do, don't forget to let us know as we might have a little surprise for you. Thanks again for your time and we'll see you next week for more Experience. Yes.